You're listening to the podcast from Emmanuel Community Church. For more information, go to emmanuelcc.co.uk. So Hebrews 10, 38 to 11, 2, and 1 Corinthians 2, 1 to 5. Hebrews 10, 38 to 11, 2. But my righteous one will live by faith, and I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you. I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom, as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Well, uh, good morning to you all. It's good to be with you on the Lord's Day. And it's good to be carrying on through through the letter to, to Hebrews. So, um, we've heard a couple of passages there. One is continuing on with our, our Hebrew series and the other is just picking up on faith, this great theme of faith, which is what we'll be looking at today, resting in God's power and not ours. This is faith in God and not faith in our human abilities or in works. Faith in Christ alone. So uh, my aim this morning is that as we uh, spring forward on what, from what we've been hearing over the last few weeks or so, Uh, We're going to pick up over the next couple of Sundays, uh, having understood how infinitely better uh, Christ is through his sinless obedience to God, now exalted to the right hand of God, what he now expects of his people. So there's a clear transition going on uh, from here in in the approach to Hebrews, from what Christ has done, where he is, and how that has all been achieved, our salvation through faith alone, but now what it means in living out that faith, what it means in living out the Christian uh, journey, and what is now expected of us. That's to continue on living by faith. So what does that mean? That's obviously um, a motto or some sort of a a Christian slogan that many people often just associate with finances. When you say someone's living by faith, you might just automatically think that applies only to a missionary who lives out raising his own funds and is living by faith. But that's not the biblical picture uh, here at all. We are all, as God's people, called to be continually living out our faith. So what does the Lord expect of us? And that's what we're going to be looking at through chapter 11 over the next two weeks. It's a reoccurring word that you will see throughout that chapter again and again. That word, of course, is faith. Uh, So today we are going to look at what it means to live by faith. And then next week we will look at some specific examples, Okay, going through what they call the, the Hall of Fame, the Hall of Faith, all these various characters and their wonderful examples to us. But this week we're going to look at specifically what is faith, what does it mean? 
Uh, so today in addressing what it means as God's people to live by faith, I want to focus on the first three verses of chapter 11 that we had read to us this morning. So do turn your eyes to it. Maybe that might even come up on the screen. Chapter 11, verses 1 to 3. And as we address that, as we focus on the first three verses... I think we will see, I hope that you will see the following three things that help define faith. So first, faith, number one, faith has character. Faith looks like something in God's people. You can define what faith is in these first three verses. Okay, so faith has character, number one. Number two, faith compels. Faith compels God's people to act. Real faith as James speaks about, is not just a quiet sort of uh, subdued, I don't do anything faith, reserved sort of individualistic type faith. Faith compels us to go outwards. So faith has character, faith compels, number two, and third, faith brings with it understanding. Faith brings perspective, faith brings understanding and helps God's people in going forward. So three things, faith has character, faith compels, and faith brings understanding. Now, I need to remind us uh, this morning that that this passage here, particularly in in Hebrews, uh, is written, do you remember, primarily to Christians. Again, uh, they were Jewish Christians who were about to enter a period of some of the worst persecution, uh, if not the worst persecution, that God's people would ever face. And that was going to be under the rule of Emperor Nero. Many of you uh, historians and buffs would have read about Emperor Nero. He even comes up in things like Horrible Histories Today, which which is the kids' programmes on on BBC, where you learn about just how much of a, or how brutal Emperor Nero was. And this is the situation, right? The situation was such that for the believers of this day, it was no longer uh, cool to be a Christian. Uh, They no longer had the favour that they had during this first sort of period where Christianity was spreading with some degree of favour. Now, when when you were a Christian, it meant that persecution and being ostracised was part and parcel of being a believer, And understanding the writer to Hebrews, what was coming, what was already starting to happen and what was coming under the impending rule of Emperor Nero was that getting through this persecution and getting through these uh, times of being ostracised was having a strong and steadfast faith in the Lord. So you pick up on that in verses 19 uh, to 25 which is um, of chapter 10, which is where the writer says uh, we are, are, or he's calling us to persevere in the faith. Do not waver, do not give in. It says at the very end of chapter 10, we do not belong to those that shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. So the call here is to persevere, the call here is to stand firm, the call here is not to be shaken despite what may be coming and what is on the horizon, not to shrink back but to declare boldly that our faith and our confidence is in Christ and we shall not be moved. So he's going to do that by building on from who Christ is. So again, we pick up on that in chapter 10, verses 19 to 20. Let's have a look. Chapter 10, 19 to 22, in fact. Uh, 
It says, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, opened for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. In fact, let's go on. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. Unswervingly. We will not be tossed to and fro by the waves of the cares of this life, but we will remain firm. We will hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful We can do this because the one who calls us is the faithful one. How many people know uh, this great truth this morning? That Christ is faithful and that uh, we stand on solid ground. Our foundations are built upon Christ. Okay, our house is built upon the foundation that is Jesus Christ. He's the faithful one to you. He's faithful to you, brothers and sisters, this morning. Do you know this? And then he says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habits of doing, as Jane brought up this morning, but encouraging one another. So don't give up meeting. It's not just me up here saying it because I'm the pastor and I want pews or seats to be full. It's because the Bible tells us don't, don't give up meeting together. It's not just about us. Faith today has been so individualised. Uh, Sundays become about us and they become about our pleasure and what we're doing in our families. But actually the Bible call is to not give up forsaking one another because one, as we've heard, it's a biblical mandate and a pattern that we do, but also because it encourages your brothers and sisters. Did you know that? It's not just about you, it's about encouraging one another. That's why we meet, because we encourage one another in the faith. And that is what it, we are being called to not neglect. Do not neglect the habit of meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more, as you say, see the day approaching. Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. And we're called to strengthen one another in the faith and in these truths and encourage one another, build one another up. So in understanding these things, the writer to Hebrews, he understands that getting through what is going to come, foundational to that is having this strong faith, a strong faith that will will lay hold of hope and a hope that will lead back to, to perseverance Because our faith, out of faith comes hope, and out of hope comes perseverance, carrying on, keeping on, keeping on. He's going to do that, as I said, by by building on from who Christ is and what he's done. Okay, so in chapter 12, after this chapter, we see uh, the, the call to persevere in the faith. Keep running the race, keep running to the end goal and the end line, which is Jesus who waits us, offering that crown of life where we will be before him forever in heaven. That's what we're running towards. And that is prefaced, uh, chapter 12, by this, this hall of fame, this hall of faith, chapter 11, where he's given us examples. He's shown us people from before who have, like us, ran the race and inherited the crown of righteousness, inherited the crown of life. And as the Hebrews uh, needed encouragement... 
That's what this Hall of Fame is there for, is to give them encourage to keep, encouragement to keep on running. So I believe some of us need encouragement. All of us need encouragement this morning. I'm sure some of, some of you specifically need that today. You need encouragement. Are we not living in an increasingly godless society where politicians don't know their nose from their elbow, where lies in every camp prevail, where, where truth no longer really matters anymore? We're living in an age where marriages are more likely to break up where depression is rife and suicide is increasing, where monetary issues are prevalent, where are we, where are people to find hope in these conditions? Where do you expect people to go to find hope? Brothers and sisters, where do you go to find hope? And what the writer to Hebrews wants his hearers to bank, as he would us, is that hope comes from faith. And that's what I want to address today. Turn to someone this morning and say, hope comes from faith. Not me, I know it. You turn to someone next to you and say, hope comes from faith, brother or sister. Hope is something beautiful. Hope keeps the the heart alive. It keeps the heart pumping. It gives us something to keep on running, doesn't it, hope? It's a, it's a beautiful thing. Let me give you a short uh, analogy to try and describe how this hope has been birthed from, from faith. In, um, in the latest episode of Living with, with the Kids, okay, that's like a spin-off of the Osborne Bournes, but it's a lot more messy. Okay, in the latest episode of Living with the Kids, we've been um, enjoying uh, the wild flower seeds that we've planted at the front of our garden. Do you know what I'm talking about? We know... Okay, fine. Okay, so you put the seeds in the soil and these sort of meadow flowers come out and we've, we're enjoying all these beautiful colours starting to come out, purples and blues and yellows and what. You never thought I'd be saying something like that, did you? You thought, oh, that Jamie, he hasn't got any emotions. But there we go. He's enjoying the lovely colour of all the flowers and then subsequently you see all the bees and the odd butterfly come in and it's beautiful. And one of the, the hopes of, of us doing that was that we would see butterflies in our garden. But also what we've been doing in, in the kid household at the moment is when you send off, I find the whole thing rather strange, but you send off for uh, like these caterpillars, yeah? And you grow them at home and they give or they become butterflies, yeah? And so we're going through uh, that stage now. Most of them have made it in the kid household. Maybe a, maybe a couple haven't made it. No great surprise. But it's wonderful now to, to look at the butterflies in the garden and for the kids to understand something of the journey in which brings this colour and this beauty. And I think that's something of, of faith and hope and how they work together like pedals on a cycle, how, how hope comes, this beautiful thing of this hope and this joy and running the race comes from a steady and immovable faith. That's what the writer of the Hebrews wants us to see today. That's what the writer of Hebrews wants us to bank today, that we are, uh, we are called to, to lay hold of this faith, which is a gift from God that he has given us. Brothers and sisters, be strong in your faith. Turn to Christ and be hopeful. Let your hope keep you going and be fuel in your engines, the, the, the fuel of, of hope that comes from knowing uh, Christ that comes from having a faith in him. So, uh, what are those examples again from those first three verses? Let's look at it again it, it, in order. Do you remember them? Number one, uh, faith uh, brings or shows or evidences character. Uh, faith compels God's people to go 
And third, faith brings with it understanding and perspective. So first, first point, faith as we define it. Faith has character. That is to say, it, it looks like something. It's, it's definable. Now, the writer unpacks that in perhaps one of the most famous verses in the Bible. And I have to really look at the NIV when I recite it, because it's slightly different to the version that I was brought up with, which when, you know, when I was a young whippersnapper growing up, it was more like the, uh, the King James or the New King James Version. Okay, and it wasn't just any ordinary King James Version or New King James Version. Our version growing up was the Spirit-filled King James Version, which meant it was extremely sanctified. Okay, so I have to look and just convert it in my mind because obviously we're reading from the NIV. Okay, and the first three verses tell us, don't they? Or the first verse tells us, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for, an assurance about what we do not see. Two statements there that define what faith is, that show us its character. Are you ready? Number one, faith has confidence. Faith has confidence. Second, faith has assurance. Confidence and assurance. Now, I admit at face value, it's a mouthful. Maybe even at face value for the uh, particular members amongst you are contradictory. You may ask, how can you have confidence in what is hoped for? How can you be certain and confident about something that is hoped for? How can you have conviction towards that which you cannot see? How can you be convicted about something that you can't hold in your hand and you can't see with your eyes? Maybe some of you are asking that question. Well, the atheist would say at this point, uh, how can you have faith in something that you cannot see that is not observable? Richard Dawkins, for example, that angry man, he says that faith is the great cop-out. Faith is a great cop-out. It's the great excuse to evade the need to think. Well, let's look at the other end of the argument, counter-argument, from someone like C.S. Lewis, who was a thinker. And he says, as a literary historian, I am perfectly convinced that whatever the Gospels are, they are not myths. I have read and written a great deal of myths. Some of you have read those in books and watched them on films. And I am quite clear that they are not the same sort of thing. They are not myths. They are something to believe. Believe. That was from a great mind. But maybe you might hear the argument of the sceptic or the bruised person who might say, you know, I've had these feelings of assurance and I've had these feelings of hope, but I was always let down by these things I, I was assured to believe in and these things that I put my hope in, to which I say, dear friend or dear bruised brother or sister, faith is not a feeling. Do you remember? Faith is confidence. Faith is... Uh, or some people, in response to that, we might say, my, my confidence, my assurance, and my hope are not based on feelings. Because feelings come and go, much like the sunny weather here in Stockport, as I've learned over the last four years, right? One day it's sunny, one day it's raining. And it's so it is with feelings. Feelings come and feelings go. And therefore, you cannot put your faith in feelings. You need to put it in something higher and something immovable. 
as the Bible says, besides our feelings, besides our feelings and our hearts often betray us, don't they? So the scriptures say a heart is deceitful above all else. Who can know it or who can trust it? That's the Bible's verdict on the human heart and our feelings. It's deceitful and it can let us down and it can lead us astray and it can cause us to make bad decisions. The heart is deceitful beyond all else. Who can know it? And we might say in response, neither, dear doubter, can my confidence or can I put my hope in any possession? Because possessions come and go, don't they? No, my assurance and my hope is not based on feelings. It is not based on any earthly possession. And how many of us are fed up of that narrative that we're seeing at the moment? That's being pumped out. No, faith is not a feeling. Faith is not stiff upper lip, British, British upper lip or stoicism. It's not positive thinking. It's not wishful thinking. It's not naivety. It's not optimism. It's not what faith is. Someone says of the optimist that he's the person that jumps out of a 50-story building and 10 stories down says, so far, so good. Okay, that's not what the Christian faith is. It's not just optimism. It's not just wishful thinking. Tim Keller on this says, it is not the strength of your faith. It's not the strength of your faith, but it is the object of your faith. It's the object of your faith that actually saves you. Strong faith in a weak branch is fatally inferior to a weak faith in a strong branch. So it's not putting your faith in, your faith isn't defined as being your feelings, and it's not subject to just mere possessions or objects and confidence in those things. Faith is about where you've placed your trust, and the Bible is telling us to place your trust in Jesus. Brothers and sisters, today, put your faith, put your confidence and your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Faith is confidence. Faith is assurance. And this, this, this word, assurance, uh, this phrase, confidence or assurance, also translates as conviction. So God's people are called to be people of conviction. In old currency, uh, from, for some of my brothers and sisters with me here this morning, the word uh, was translated as substance. Yeah? It's the substance, which means to, or points to something that you stand on or you build your life on. So it has substance. It's not just wishful thinking, it has substance. It's something you build your life on. And the writer is in using that word, substance, pointing towards a foundation. It's like when an, an architect or a builder um, build a house. They need to make sure it has strong and correct and solid foundations. Otherwise, this house will simply fall apart when the storms come. It must be built upon an immovable foundation. And that is the call of the Christian life. To put your faith, not in anything this world offers, but to put it in Jesus, whom you can trust because on him you are building your lives upon a rock. And putting all of these different translations together, I feel it's not rather one competing against the other, but builds this beautiful picture of what faith is. This wonderful definition. Faith, let's put them all together, just some of them. Faith is confidence. Faith is assurance. Faith, according to the ESV, has conviction. 
Faith, according to the New King James Version, has substance, something you can build your life upon. Faith, according to the CSB, which is a more modern translation, says it is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. But out of that, let me ask you another question. Specifically, specifically, or or a statement, specifically, it's what our confidence our assurance and conviction is placed in? Or whom are they placed in? Who is your faith? Who is your conviction? Who is your assurance placed in this morning? Because the Bible summons us to put it in Jesus Christ. And he is the one who has so uh, totally proven it already to us that he is trustworthy, is he not? That's what we've been learning throughout the whole first ten chapters He is the one that left heaven to reconcile us to his father, that he might become our father. This he has done, it says in chapter 10, 19, by his blood, that through his body we might now have confidence to enter the presence of God. When we talk to him, we can enter the holy of holies. He's done that for us. Jesus, by his own blood upon Calvary. Jesus is trustworthy. Put your confidence in him today, church. Build your life on that substance that is on Jesus the rock and continue to live by faith in what you hope for. Live by faith. Some further questions out of that, um, that first uh, couple of verses from chapter 11 spring to mind. Now, now faith is a confidence in what we hope for. What do you hope for uh, this morning? Now, immediately when I say that, I'm sure a million things spring into your mind, don't they? Not, necess- not inherently bad things either. It might be to do with uh, your job or your aspirations, or maybe if you have children, your children, sort of education and future. All sorts of things spring into our minds, don't they, when we think of, what do I hope for? But if we're to just use sort of, or to apply this through the biblical lens, what are some of the things that we are called as believers to Hopeful. Let me give you some examples. Christ's return. Christians are called by faith to believe, to trust, to put faith in the fact that Jesus Christ is coming back again. How many of us know, know this this morning? That Christ is coming back again. It's happening. By faith we believe that day is happening. That he shall appear from the clouds and come and the dead shall be raised to life and those that are alive shall go to be with him into glory, into paradise. Isn't that a wonderful thing? A wonderful thing to know that all of our lost uh, brothers and sisters in the faith are there waiting uh, and one day we will go and we will be with Christ and we will all be together. What a, what a, a wonderful promise by faith that we believe in and have conviction about. We believe by faith and we are convicted by faith in the resurrection of the dead. We will, God's people, will go through death. But praise be to God for Jesus Christ who has gone through it and conquered death and has the keys to life and death that where he goes we may be also. We believe this by faith, that this life is not it, that this life is not it for our lost loved ones but that they have been, or will, and we will all be resurrected from the dead. We believe by faith and we hope for by faith that we will be glorified in Christ. We will be given new bodies and we will be with him and we will be like him. 
We believe by faith the promises of God that says that one day we will reign with him throughout the ages. Promises of the Bible that all of God's people can lay hold of. We will go and we will be with him forever and we will be like him and we will reign with him. Wonderful promises of eternal life for God's people. And do you know what faith does? Faith grabs those promises that the Bible teaches us and it makes them certain. It makes them a conviction. It makes them uh, assured in our hearts and in our minds. It becomes so certain for the believer that it becomes reality. It's a confidence that is so fixed and so sure that these things in the future, these things that are unseen will become or are becoming even now for us now, uh, real and present and seen. Christ's return, our resurrection, our glorification, our reigning with him. Now, you tell me what difference that makes to God's people who are about to enter the worst period of persecution under Nero. What difference does that make when they lay hold of these promises of what Scripture tells them? You tell me what difference that makes for the persecuted Christians of, as I, as, as I read um, two days ago, of Eritrea. Some of the most persecuted places around the world where Christian pastors and believers are beaten and put in, in absolutely horrible, obscene, disgusting, dirty prison conditions for their faith. You tell me what keeps them going. Surely it is by faith the promises of God's word, laying hold of them, believing in them. Or you tell me how our friends and our mission partners in Burma that are out in the jungle fleeing for, for their life, what keeps them going, what keeps their hope alive? Uh, as they see their, their friends and their brothers and sisters and their villages burned and killed, and as they flee, it is the hope that, that, that keeps them alive and keeps them running the race comes from a faith laying hold of the promises of God. Faith, living by faith, impacts the decisions we make, the dreams we chase and how we respond to the good and the bad times. When things don't make sense, when our mapped out lives get rocked by a phone call or a scan result or a relational issue. Our faith secures us and anchors us and we, as we lay hold of the promises of God. I wonder if some of us need to, to have this faith, faith and this hope with them today. Some of you are in a place, perhaps, where you cannot see in front of you. You don't know how the work situation is going to work out. You don't know how your love life is going to pan out. You don't know how your marriage will work out. You don't know how your health is going to work out because of the news. Faith says in these circumstances that I don't know. I don't know what the future holds, the immediate future, but I will trust in God. And it lays hold of that promise. And I'm not just up here telling you to get a grip and to carry on being a pastor and us being leaders of the church doesn't always, uh, as, as we try and lead the church, bring with it clarity. Some of you know what we're working through at the moment as a church leadership. And we don't always have clarity on it. But what we do have is certainty. Certainty that he who has called us is faithful and we can lay hold of his promises that the work that he started in this church and in our lives, he will bring to completion. He is faithful. He can be trusted. And it's in those moments when there is no clarity that we can know certainty. And certainty is to be placed in the unshakable person of Jesus Christ. So, second point, and they do get 
uh, significantly lesser in time. Don't worry, the first one is longer. Second one, our faith compels us. Our faith compels us. Verse 2, it says, do you see it? This is what the ancients were commended for. Commended for. Faith pleases God. Faith pleases God. Faith gets a commendation from God. Uh, now, some of you know that one of my uh, past hobbies, long, long time ago, was was parachuting. Okay, and I used to go to, I went to uh, to America just recreationally. Went to America with uh, my bio dad, and we went to a place called San Diego, and we did wonderful things like going up in a plane, thirteen thousand foot. Um, in the sky and looking on the platform and jumping out and spent about 45 seconds sort of falling through the sky, snot coming out everywhere, shouting yeehaw all the way down, you know, and then there comes a point where you pull your parachute and it comes out and it thankfully saves your life. It's not a horror story. I made it. Don't worry. I'm still here. Okay. So it saves your life. But there are lots of times where I did this as a bit of a hobby and a pastime, parachuting, jumping out. And whilst it was scary at first, one of the things I learned that the more and more and more you do it, the more confidence you have in the fact that this parachute is going to open and save my life, as daring as it is. And as I think through those things, I think of my, my children growing up and going swimming with them. And I think of uh, the times where I used to encourage them to run off the deep end and jump into my arms and I would catch them. And there would be times when they would just run and jump and I wasn't even looking until the last minute and turned around and catch them. And they always knew that no matter what, and it happened nine times out of ten, okay, I would always catch my children and they could have the confidence and the trust and the faith that their father would lay hold of them and grab them. This is something of what the Bible is calling us to. It's saying you can trust in God. No matter what he's calling you to, you can believe that he has a hold of you. And knowing this compels us then to go. It compels us to go knowing that he has a hold of his children. That's the whole of chapter 11. Being compelled to go. God's people being compelled to go. Look at Noah who despite being nowhere near water is told that the world is corrupt, Noah, and wicked, and I'm going to flood it, and only you and your family shall enter, or sorry, shall be saved by entering this jumbo ark. And you're going to build it. And it's going to take you over half a century to build. And what does Noah say? Yes, God. I believe your word. And he builds it. He lays hold of the promise. He builds the ark, and he is saved. Or how about Abraham, who was a rich man, living in comfort in modern-day Iraq or out in Persia, and God tells him to leave his homeland and says, God, and, and he says to Abraham, I'm going to make you a father of the nations with his barren wife, and I'm going to give you a new land as your inheritance. And Abraham says, yes, God, I believe your promises, and he goes or Moses, who out of the wilderness is called back to Egypt from where he fled to be used as a mighty prophet to set God's people out of, send God's people out of bondage. This man who was wanted dead, who was slow in speech, some commentators say stutters, and yet believing in the word of God, he goes by faith. So let's look at that, just one of the only examples we'll look at today. 11.25 to 29. 
Hebrews 11:25 it says he chose speaking of Moses to be ill-treated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin he regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward he forsook all of the treasures of Egypt nothing this world can give me can compare to the treasures that await me in Christ Jesus and therefore stuff what you offer world pharaoh give me what christ has uh, has promised me that is infinitely better the reward waiting ahead by faith he left egypt not fearing the kings or anger he persevered because he saw him who is invisible moses saw jesus who was invisible and by faith persevered laying hold of the promises has been infinitely better than anything this world could offer that's faith or how about uh, and it's not in this hall of fame how about the recent study of uh, of daniel where we looked at shadrach meshach and abednego how about uh, when they're facing the the fiery furnace and they stand before nebuchadnezzar and they say to him we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter if we are thrown into the blazing furnace the god we serve is able to deliver us from it and he will deliver it from us from your majesty's hand but even if he does not we want you to know your majesty that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up that's faith that's faith that even if things don't pan out in this world through the trials and the persecution that may come I lay hold of the promises of God. I will not be moved. My conviction is in him whom I can trust. That's faith. And the Bible and Hebrews 11 is all about God's people living by faith. From Gentiles to Jews to pagans. From old men and women like Noah and Abraham. To the young and the insignificant like Joseph and Gideon. From people of statue to pagan prostitutes like Rahab. God's people throughout the years and throughout the ages and from wherever they are demographically are all called to live by faith. And we are called to live by faith likewise. Faith focuses on God's promise for the future. It perseveres in hardship. It pleases God. It wins God's commendation. Faith moves people to take appropriate action in response to God's word. Offering an acceptable sacrifice, building an ark, setting out to an unseen promised land, laying hold of the promise. And this is the same, and we're going to land here. This is the same type of red hot passionate, daring faith that we are called to live by. We are not called to be a social club. We are not called to be property moguls. We are called to walk by faith and do daring things for our Lord. And William Carey, the great missionary, said on this, expect great things from God, attempt great things from God. This is the type of faith that God's people are called to. Expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. Great things for God that lie here in waiting for his people here in this church, here in Stockport. Do you know that this morning? That we're called to live by faith in these things. To reach the Heatons and Reddish. Specifically as God's word compels us to go to the orphan, to look after the widow, to go to the poor to look out for the foreigner and the immigrant 
to look out and have specific care towards the outcasts, the broken, fragmented people of our society, specifically we're called to go to. This is what scripture commands of us. These are the people that God is calling us by faith to go towards. And then finally, if God, uh, number three, sovereignty. So God's, God's faith gives us understanding because in it we see the sovereignty of God. And this one I'll just very quickly touch on and we'll pick, it, pick up on it next week. Faith gives us understanding because by it we understand the, the sovereignty of God. If God made the universe, the galaxies and our solar system and the world and everything in it, which he did, where he knows everything from each of the hundreds and millions of stars down to the one hair on your head, and that's easier for some of us to count than others. If he created and knows everything and says, mine, because he is Lord over it, then he is the God that you can trust. He is the God that you can put your faith and your confidence in. He is the one who allows the sun to rise and go down each day. He is the one who granted you to wake up this morning and to breathe in and out. He is the God who is supreme and sovereign and he is the God in whom we can put our faith. This is the one who verifies the promise. This is the one who calls you to put your trust in him, to be confident, to have assurance, to lay hold of the promises of his word. So faith has character can define it what it looks like faith compels god's people to go and faith gives understanding because we understand that he is sovereign and he is the lord of the universe and therefore we we glow gladly and with fire in our hearts this is what we're called to encourage one another to this is why we're told not to neglect the meeting with one another we're called to encourage each other so that these things have faith in God. We're called to come along our brothers and sisters that are in our midst right now, struggling and suffering and say, have faith in the one who cannot be moved. You can trust him, church. You can put your confidence and your conviction in him. And may the Holy Spirit help us with this thing, these great truths uh, this morning. Let us pray. Father, we, uh, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we, we see in a few verses here how you call us to uh, put our faith in you. You show us what it is. Lord, this is not wishful thinking. It's not something that's placed in, in feelings and emotions. It's not something that's placed in any earthly possession. But it's something we're called to put in your son. And Lord, all of us here this morning, uh, we want to say and renew uh, that commitment to you, Lord, that our faith is in you alone. And Lord, we pray that as we do these things, uh, that you will make us people of conviction. You will make us people that are compelled to go and tell others, that are compelled to live their lives as people that have their faith put in the anchor of life that is Christ Jesus our Lord. And Lord, help us to do it with absolute assurance knowing that you are the God who formed all of the world and the heavens and everything in it. You are sovereign and you are supreme and you are the one who holds our lives in your hands and therefore we can trust you. And so Lord we want to say again that we will trust you. 
And we pray this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. You have been listening to the podcast from Emmanuel Community Church. To find out more about us, go to emmanuelcc.co.uk.